invite you to turn in your scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. We're going to begin reading uh, verse 1 down through verse 15. And I'll invite you to stand as we prepare to receive this word. Matthew 14, beginning with verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his descendants, This is John the Baptist. Has, he has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that a request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Well, this weekend, of course, uh, we are celebrating Labor Day. That means that uh, many of us are going to have tomorrow off and give us an opportunity to enjoy the fruits of our labor and appreciate the value of work. And so I thought it might be a good time, as, uh, as, well, as I thought about all of this, to begin a series of messages related to how our faith relates to our work. Most of us in this room have jobs to do. We spend more than half of our waking hours at work. So it's probably important from time to time to really think about and consider from a theological and biblical perspective, how does what I do so often impact and, uh, my faith, and how does my faith impact my work? Jesus said in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And so in Matthew 14, as I set this all up, we get a glimpse of what many commentators refer to as the longest day of Jesus' ministry. Now, I want you to think about Jesus' job for a moment. It was a difficult one by any standard, but this particular day had to be one of the hardest. Of course, a more excruciating day was to come when he would lay down his life on the cross and declare, it is finished, but this day in Matthew 14 gives us a glimpse of Jesus and how he saw his work as part of the extension of doing God's will. 
And I want you to know that that is to be true for all of us. Whether you work on an assembly line or you teach a class full of school children, you labor as a stay-at-home mom or you drive a truck or you work as an executive, our work is to be an extension of doing God's work and God's will. So how do we set this up? You know, some people are surprised to find that while work is hard as Christians, it's not to be viewed as a four-letter word. In our culture, Mondays are considered to be the day of drudgery. Some of you are familiar with the Hagar comic strip. One scene has Hagar the Horrible stranded on an island with one of his men. His friend says to Hagar, what day is today? Hagar replies, you know, I've kind of lost track. The next frame shows lightning, tornadoes, sea monsters, sharks, and Hagar says, but it feels like Monday. Well, maybe that's why we take Labor Day as Monday. We take it off to provide a, a, a respite, a, some time off to get away from the tension and the stress of that day. But I want to remind you that the God of Sunday is also the God of Monday. He's intensely interested in what you do. In fact, God views work worthy of its own commandment, if you think about it. Exodus 34, 21 says, you shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. You know, as I was thinking, it occurs to me that while the obvious emphasis in that verse is that we are going to be recipients of this grace of God, that he gives us the gift of a day of rest, and we ought to apply that certainly to our lives, it also means that for six days of the week, God intends for his people to be productive, to be engaged, to be creative, and to do work. That is part of his commandment. Solomon wrote, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good, that he's done well. Yet, much of the stress of our lives comes from our workplace. 29% of the American workforce views their jobs as the number one stressor in their lives. That results, in fact, in more health problems than financial problems or family problems. Max Lucado, in his book, Cure for the Common Life, wrote, Heaven's calendar has seven Sundays a week. God sanctifies each day. If 70% of us dread Mondays, dream for Fridays, and slug through the rest of the week, won't our relationships suffer? Won't our work suffer? Won't our health suffer? So how are we to deal with the stress of work? Well, first, I think we have to realize that stress is going to be a part of work. I was fascinated this week as I thought about a verse I had come recently across from Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul writes these very interesting words. He says, a wide door for effective work has opened to be, and there are many adversaries. Now, isn't that interesting? On one hand, Paul sees this opportunity to do great work, even God's work. But he also recognizes that there are stresses and troubles that come with walking through that door of opportunity. In the same light, I want you to see that on the day that Jesus is working, there were a number of things that put intense pressure on him. 
And I want to just give you four of those this morning. First, I want you to realize that Jesus, to some extent in his ministry, every day he woke up, he was dealing with, to some extent, interpersonal conflict. Jesus had chosen the 12 disciples, to be sure, but each of them had their own issues. As you know, the disciples, they were slow in understanding who he was and why he had come. These men did not quite comprehend of what it was to be a part of the kingdom of God. We know they had frequent arguments about who among us is the greatest in Christ's kingdom. Later, in fact, in this chapter, Jesus goes to Peter, the de facto leader of the group, and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In verse 15, we see the disciples come to Jesus and they tell him, it's getting late, Lord, we're, we're tired of working, get rid of these people. And it becomes obvious that Jesus and the disciples are not on the same page. Jesus is pretty direct. In verse 16, we didn't read this, but he says, they do not need to go away. He countermands their instructions. And then he must have shocked the disciples when he said to them, you give them something to eat. And of course, they were clueless. It must have been stressful for Jesus to day after day deal with these men and think about the fact that they were going to take over when he departed. And then, of course, I have to think about the constant issues he had with religious leaders of the day as he was always confronting them, battling with them, and, being cha and challenging them. So he had interpersonal conflict. And I suspect in your work, you're going to have those situations where maybe you're just not getting along. Second, Jesus, of course, experiences on this day a horrible loss. Matthew 14 begins with a backtracking of this story of news that reaches Jesus as his cousin, John the Baptist, had just died. The story is that Herod, the tetrarch of the area, had taken his sister-in-law to be his wife. And so John the Baptist got up and he preached against this sin. And so Herod throws John into prison. But on Herod's birthday, his stepdaughter dances for Herod, pleases him so much, and you get a sense of all the, the wickedness and dysfunction that's going on in that family. He offers her to, get, uh, to give her whatever she wants. And she wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so in verse 11, we read, his head was brought in on a platter given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John dis John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. They went and they told Jesus. Jesus and John the Baptist were more than just cousins. Remember when, when Mary was pregnant, when she went to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth was holding John the Baptist in her womb. And when Mary arrived, John the Baptist in the womb leaped for joy because even then he knew who Jesus was. Of course, during John's ministry, one day he looked and he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold, this is the one who takes the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, Jesus said, Among, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So think about Jesus. There was one person in this world that knew who he was that understood what he had come to do. And so when Jesus receives this news of John's death, the grief must have been intense. 
Jesus had lost the only man who truly understood him. You know, some of my greatest losses have been related to my work. I think about when we go through staff changes. Some of them are great people who choose to move on, and, and that's always hurtful. It, it, it's, it, it's natural, it's right, but it still hurts. Sometimes I've had to let people go. Usually about after 15 years, Tony, but uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, that, that hurts too. I've lost friendships because of decisions I've made as a pastor. People who I love, I disagree with, and they disagree with me, and so they move on. Loss is a part of life, and it's often a part of our work. Some of you in this room know what it is to lose your jobs. So much of our identity is tied up with our work, and so when the job is gone, we feel like we've died, or something died within us. Jesus knew loss in his work. But then for Jesus, there is also this sense of fatigue. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the longest stretch of parables in the Gospels. That means and indicates that he has been teaching and teaching and teaching for hours. Listen, I, I give a 20-minute sermon, maybe 30 minutes, a little more than 30 minutes, I suppose, but I'm exhausted when I'm done. And, and on a Sunday afternoon, I'm a zombie to the point where, where Mary's afraid of giving me the car keys because I may not find my way home, and that's just the truth. I, I, I just, I just kind of check out. But Jesus had to be physically and emotionally spent after spending all this time with the masses. I cannot fathom the fatigue that Jesus experienced with people constantly pulling at him, wanting his time, wanting what he had to give. And so Jesus was fatigued, but there were just the, the limitations of humanity you say, but Jeff, he was God, yes, but remember, he was God in the flesh. He operated in his humanity with all our limitations, physically, emotionally. I look at my work, and I recognize my limitations, and I'm always amazed at how many things I don't know how to do and what I'm not capable of doing. I was thinking this week, as we were doing demolition on the other side of the church here, my limitations became so evident. But there we had Marty Jones, who is an electrician, miraculously just shows up and for hours uses his skills to disconnect outlets. Otherwise, we might have had some rather exciting moments over there, but we were spared. Same thing with Dave Millen, who spent hours and hours on this project. And here he has all this experience running the school system, giving him exactly under, understanding what we need to do. It just amazes me how God during this project has given us again and again just the right people at just the right time. But at your workplace, you're going to have stress. Now think about, what is it that causes you stress? And we could come up with a long list this morning, I'm sure. Some of you might refer to a demanding boss. The other day I read the four top things that make a bad boss. Lying, belittling an employee embarrassing an employee, micromanaging, 
But stress at work isn't limited, of course, to our bosses. It could be dealing with lazy coworkers, critical spirits, immorality, gossip. 25% of Americans don't take their full allotment of vacation because their job responsibilities are, are overwhelming, and so they just feel like they have to keep working. One in three employees take work at home at least once a week. Reaching the end of a, a job interview, a human resource officer asks a young engineer, fresh out of college, what starting salary are you looking for? The young man replied, well, in the region of $150,000 a year, depending on the benefits package. Well, the interviewer inquired, well, what would you say to a package of $250,000 a year, plus five weeks of vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and de dental, company matching retirement fund up to 50% of salary, and a company car at least every two years, let's say a red Corvette. Well, the young man stood up and he said, wow, are you kidding? The interviewer replied, yeah, but you started it, so. <laughs> Man, how we wish our jobs were, were that simple and all flowers and strawberries and all, but they aren't that way. So how should we deal with the stress of our work? Well, I think Jesus is our example Ross Broadfuhr made this comment. He said, you know, his job description was daunting. His co-workers were at times incompetent. His hours became excessive. His customers demanded miracles. His supervisor expected perfection. Yet his peace surpassed understanding. Maybe we can learn from him. What do we learn from Jesus. Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, but let me begin here. There were times when the stress was such that Jesus often withdrew. He decided to, to get away for a while. Matthew 14, 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, I want you to know this wasn't an escape from reality. Jesus wasn't sticking his head in the sand and trying to pretend that it would all go away or act like it was well when it was not. No, this news of John the Baptist's death wounded Jesus, and so he sought solitude. I wonder this morning how you handle stress at work. I wonder how many in this room head out at 5 o'clock and they head to the, to the bar and to the happy hour and they drink till they're numb. Do you regularly turn to pain medication? Do you just work longer hours? Do you overeat? It's only natural that stressed people eat because the more stressed you are. In fact, stressed, spelled backwards, spells what? Desserts. Take you five minutes to figure that out and I'll lose some of you, but it's true. Two factory workers were talking together, and the woman says, you know, I, I need a day off. I can make the boss give me a day off. The man replied, well, how are you going to do that? The woman says, just look, wait and see. So she hangs herself upside down from the ceiling. The boss comes in and says, what are you doing? And the woman says, I'm a light bulb. 
The boss says, wait a minute here. You've been working way too much. You're losing it. I think you need to take a day off. Well, her co-worker follows her, and the boss says, hey, wait a second. What are you doing? And the man says, I'm going home too. I can't work in the dark. <laughs> now, when Jesus withdrew, he also withdrew, you'll notice, to pray. In Luke, we read, but Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. That was standard operating procedure for Christ. When he withdrew from the crowds, he, he communed with his father. And, and that reminds me, folks, we, we can't allow our to-do list to be so important, our responsibilities to overwhelm us, that we neglect our opportunity to spend time with God he, he could have used his time healing more people. He could have spent more time teaching more lessons and pouring more into those immature disciples. But what you see in the Gospels is that again and again, Jesus made it a habit to set aside time to recharge his spiritual batteries. He, he disciplined himself to make time with God. He knew from where his power came. And if the Son of God needed to be with God, how much more do I need to be with him? Now, I look at Jesus' life, and I see that Jesus at times said no. John 6, verse 5 says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus was willing to say no to the masses. He said no to the world's view of success. In the workplace, you must say no at times and, and, and be ready to place some healthy boundaries. You, you, you have credibility when you have worked diligently. When, when you have been faithful, you've had a good attitude. Listen, I've, I've worked with Tony for 15 years. If Tony comes to me and he says, we need to do something different, I'm going to listen to him because he's been faithful and had a great spirit and a good attitude. Another way that Jesus handled stress was that he surrounded himself with believers Mark uses the same account, but he gives us a little more insight. Jesus made sure he wasn't alone during this stressful time. Mark 6 says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they'd done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. It reminds me, there is value in forming relationships with Christians in our workplace. And listen, if you can't find them there, make sure that one, you're a witness, but two, that's one of the reasons we have to be together on Sundays, to gather together. That's one of the reasons I, I commend to you the, the men's groups, the men's breakfast on Saturday or women's Bible study. Maybe even in your workplace, you could consider starting a Bible study. We need to lift each other up and encourage each other in those places where we work. But there's one other thing I thought about. I want you to know that when it came to work and stress, Jesus, through it all, remained faithful to his task. Jesus knew what his job was. 
As I was working on this message, I, I suddenly had this unsettling, and yet I found it kind of a comforting thought. And here it is. Jesus knew all the responsibilities listed on his job description. You're going to preach the good news. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to teach the masses. You're going to bring people back to life, cleanse the temple, feed the crowds, rebuke the Pharisees. And yes, there's one more thing. Jesus, you're going to allow yourself to be put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the entire world. In other words, when Jesus was on the cross, he was on the clock. So, so when you or I face adversity or pain in our jobs, we don't give up because we know that during a long, hard day at work, he didn't. The, the next time you finish that long, hard day at work, you turn off the lights and you get ready to head out the door. Remember there was one who persevered and served his heavenly father faithfully and fervently some 2,000 years ago. Because there is, there is this. Jesus had a great boss. And what would happen in your job if you saw your life as working for the Lord and not for men? What if the next time someone said, how's your job going? And you responded by saying, it's better now. I've got a new boss. Don't get me wrong, I, I still have the old boss, but I have an even higher authority that I'm reporting to. And my job is to please him through my diligence, through my integrity, through my language. In fact, I, I found I actually do a better job because I love my new boss and I want to represent him as best I possibly can. Maybe that's something you need today. Maybe you need a new boss this morning. If you never applied, the good news is the position is open. He's hiring. He's hiring school teachers who will see their classrooms as an opportunity for ministry. He's looking for executives to be steady and kind, examples of generosity and faithfulness. He's looking for salesmen who will be honest. And, and, and don't worry about your resume. He'll take you just as you are, but he expects you to show up and serve and love and represent him well. And don't worry, you don't have to do it alone. He gives us the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come and guide us and give us instruction and insight into how to do our job in a way that brings him glory. Is he your boss today? Is he your Lord, your master? Jesus said, the, my, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me to accomplish his work. Last night I came across a, a quote. John G. Patton took the gospel to cannibal tribes on the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. But before he went, a Mr. Dickerson came to him and said, you will surely be eaten by cannibals. Peyton replied, if I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. <laughs> Isn't that great? God, I'm yours. 
Do with me what you will. Use me up for your glory. Let's pray together. Father, on this morning, as we think about our labor, I pray that, Lord, our labors would be more than just putting food on the table and getting a nicer home and even paying for a nicer vacation. But that, Lord, we would see the fruits of our labor to be an expression of our love for you, that whatever we're called to do, we would do it for your glory. I pray, O oh God, that you would be our master, that you would take even those difficulties and those stresses we have. And I know some of those stresses are very real. There are some, Lord, who feel lost in their work. That somehow, Lord, you would reach in and through the comfort and power of your Holy Spirit, you would give them insight and enlighten them. And that, Lord, you would bring others, believers around them, that, Lord, they would be challenged to maybe withdraw from time to time and just say a simple prayer and be reminded that they are not alone. But, Lord, we pray for this blessing, that we might be like Jesus. We'd have the wisdom to be poured out completely for you. I ask this in his name. Amen and amen. stand together and sing in response to what we have heard. Spirit, lead us.
Spirit Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders and you walk upon the waters wherever you would call me take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders and you walk upon the waters wherever you would call me take me deeper than my feet could ever wander my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And I will call upon your name. And keep my eyes above the waves. My soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours. you to bow your heads for a moment here and maybe uh, maybe in some way this this message is is spoken to you and you just like to acknowledge lord i, I need your help right now in my workplace i need to uh, to refocus and maybe i need to adjust my life to, in such a way that lord i see you as my master if, if you're struggling if you need some extra sense of prayer and Holy Spirit filling today. Would you just just raise your hand as a sign of willingness and openness to God's Spirit moving in your life? I appreciate that. Thank you. The Lord sees that. Lord, I just pray that you will minister to those who, who maybe just need an extra measure of your grace today, especially related to their work. Lord, we're thankful that our jobs do provide for us. And yet, Lord, they can be a, a, a such a measure of stress and difficulty. Pray for those who may be struggling even finding a job right now. I, I know that that is the case for some, and we minister to them, and we pray for them, Lord, that you will put them exactly where they need to be. For those who are struggling with a co-worker or a boss, Lord, I pray that they might look to you, that, Lord, you would use them as light in a dark place, and even in the difficulty, Lord, they would capture a sense of your presence. Lord, use us up for your glory. We are here for you. We, as long as we have breath, Lord, we want to be used by you for your kingdom's sake. And that, Lord, we know this is a training ground for eternity where, Lord, we will even judge angels and rule over vast universes. So use us, Lord, even now and teach us your ways. We pray this all through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you.